Does anybody ever have trouble seeing? Ever in your life, you ever have trouble seeing? Maybe if the weather's bad, you get a little worse sometimes. Anybody have contacts and the, you get a little funky weather, you get some sinus stuff and contacts don't work? You know what I'm talking about? Got to go with something else? Can I get a witness? I heard somebody testify. There it is. Well, growing up, I never felt like I had trouble seeing. Seeing what was ahead of me, seeing what was out there. And um, I can distinctly remember playing sports or even basketball. Playing basketball, I had a, a consistent habit that I was always trying to be aware of how much time was left on the clock. Because you didn't want to be down by a couple points to still have time on the clock and have the ball in your hands. And so I, I can remember always looking up at the scoreboard, every opportunity, to see how much time was left. But as I got older, through high school, I can, I can remember in my mind having to really squint hard to see the scoreboard. And really being excited when we would go to an away game and play a team that had a scoreboard on both sides of the gym, the rich schools, you know what I'm saying? And uh, because then you would have to squint so hard, but really having to squint and see what was going on. But what I didn't realize is I was having vision trouble, trouble with my vision. But it, it, it wasn't an awareness in my mind because I just thought that's how everybody saw. You know, I, I don't have anybody else's eyeballs, so I just thought everybody can see just like me. And it never dawned on me that it would be any different until I got in college. And uh, I can remember sitting in history class in college and sitting on the front row, right in front of the professor's podium and having trouble seeing what was on the pull-down screen from the overhead projector. Anybody remember overhead projectors? Anybody? A few of you? A few of you need to go Google that, but uh, Google didn't exist then. But I can remember squinting and, and not being really able to make out what was on the screen. And then somebody asked me at that point if I had trouble seeing. And it, again, it never clicked. I never had a thought that I had trouble seeing. I just thought when everybody drove their cars, they really couldn't see the signs that were out there until they got really, really close. That everybody saw them as fuzzy. And that buddy of mine said, hey, what is that? What do you think that says over there? And it's like, I don't really know. You know, that's a green sign with some white stuff on it, white lettering. I mean, I know there's white words on there, but I got to get closer to be able to see what's written there. And he said, I think you might have trouble seeing. And so we went to the eye doctor, and uh, sure enough, I had trouble seeing distance. But then when, when I put on glasses for the very first time, I didn't get contacts right away because sticking your finger in your eye was weird to me at that age. Um, but when I put on glasses for the first time, everything that I thought was fuzzy became clear. I didn't realize that I had trouble with my vision until somebody gave me a filter through which to see clearly. And that's exactly what we're going to be looking at today in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, Jesus is trying to bring his disciples, his followers, his apostles to a place to where they can see clearly because these guys are going to be the guys who are leading his movement 
to spread the gospel in the entire world. These are guys who don't have any occupational training in this. They didn't go to school for this. Uh, these are guys, some you know, fishermen, tax collectors. You got uh, other guys in there. You got a guy who, who had made it his job to overthrow the government, and Jesus called him to be one of his disciples. And, and you've got all these guys in a room, and Jesus is injecting his purpose in them over the course of a couple of years trying to train them up, demonstrate to them what it looks like to have great faith that is needed to lead what he wants them to lead. And that actually happens at the beginning of Luke chapter 9. We're going to start in Luke 9 down in verse 10. Uh, it's on page 866 if you're using the Bible on the rack there, or you can go to the YouVersion Bible app, click on more at the bottom, and then events, and you'll find our church will pop up with the notes and scripture and everything. Um, but at the beginning of Luke chapter 9, Jesus gives his disciples this great exercise of faith, like, like a faith assignment. He sends his disciples out, his 12 apostles out. You see, Jesus had a bit massive crowd that followed him around hearing his teaching. Then Jesus had disciples who were closer followers, who, who, people who began to believe that he was the son of God. And then he had what he coined the term apostles, which in the Greek, that word literally means to be sent out with the message. And so he has these 12 guys around him, and these are the guys who are going to lead the movement when he uh, uh, dies, raises from the dead, and goes back to heaven. And so he takes these 12 guys, and he tells them in the beginning of Luke chapter 9, I want you to go out and go city to city telling people about me. He says, tell people about the gospel. Go in there and tell them about the coming kingdom. And so if anybody, if you ever think of taking a trip, what immediately goes through my mind, well, we've got to pack, we've got to get this and this, got to make sure I have enough socks and do this. And, and, and you know, uh, Katie, she packs for everybody in the house, you know, and so she packs up everybody's stuff and we get ready to go. Well, then Jesus tells these apostles something very interesting. He says, okay, I want you guys to go from city to city all over the place. This is going to take days, weeks, it's going to take a long time, but I don't want you to take anything. Don't take a spare walking stick. Don't take a backup pair of socks and underwear. Don't take any, any clothes besides the one you have on your back. Don't even take your wallet. He tells them, don't take any money. He says, leave your wallet at home. Don't take anything. So that when you walk into the town where you're going to tell people about Jesus, Jesus tells them, everything you will receive will be provided for you from God. So I want you, Jesus is instructing his disciples, I want you to trust that God will provide everything. Provide a place for you to sleep provide lunch that day, provide dinner that night. Jesus says, don't take anything except what's on your back and walk into town and trust that God will provide for you throughout this entire trip. And so they do this. I mean, this boggles my mind, right? I mean, I'm sure it does you. You, you think about all that we do when we go on a trip today. We want to make sure we have enough walking around money to buy McDonald's tomorrow, you know? And Jesus says, don't take anything, but trust that God will provide it. From the moment you leave my presence now, God will provide everything you need. And so they do that. They don't take anything. They don't take a spare set of clothes. They don't take a carry-on bag. They don't take a fanny pack. They take nothing. And God provides everything for them over that period of time as they're going and telling people about Jesus. And so they come back to Jesus, after having been away, having experienced this great faith, and showing, you know, God showing them what it looks like to have faith in this way, and, and they're, they're coming back, and they're going to give a report to Jesus of everything they experienced, of all the trust that they had in God, and that's where we pick up in Luke chapter 9, verse 10, they just get back to Jesus to give him the report, 
On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done. And he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. So they come back to Jesus. And I can imagine these guys are amped up, right? They've, ex- they've had this great faith experience. They trusted God, and God delivered in a big way every single day, every opportunity. And now they're coming back to Jesus excited. You, you won't believe it, Jesus. We got into town, and we're talking about where to eat lunch, and I was really craving chicken fingers, and this guy came up and gave us a bunch of chicken fingers. Jesus, you won't believe it. It's amazing. And Jesus, of course, would be thinking, of course, I told you, you just trust God and he will provide. And so they're giving Jesus this report and Jesus tells the guys, let's withdraw over here. Let's, let's get away to this, Beth, this town called Bethsaida. Let's, let's, let's pull away and you guys keep telling me your reports. Keep telling me how you trusted God and let's come over here. So they're trying to withdraw, verse 11. But when the crowds learned it, they followed him and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. So the crowd hears that they're leaving and going to Bethsaida, and they follow. They go with them, and they show up. Now, again, remember, Jesus is withdrawing, is leaving, is going away with his apostles, the guys he's investing in, the guys who are going to lead. He has to teach these guys certain things, having just experienced this great faith opportunity. They all are there excited. And when he goes, they're interrupted. There's this intrusion of this crowd. Have you ever had somebody come over to your house and just stay? Right? Have you ever had somebody come over and and they're going to drop something off? I saw some of you look across the room. I I saw it. I'm not even, it was funny to me to see. I saw some of you cut your eyes like, oh, they're sitting right over there. I know exactly who you're talking about. They come to bring something and they just stay. Katie was telling me a story the other day. Somebody told her in the hallway here at church that very thing. Oh, we would have been here on time, but so-and-so came to the house, and, and this from the mouth of a child said, and they stayed. You know? And you're checking your watch, and you're thinking, okay, i got to get to over there. And this, they just won't leave. And they just keep talking, and I'm trying to be polite. Oh, thanks, you, thank you. You do all the things you do, like, oh, thank you for coming. It's good. And they sit down and start another story. You know what I mean? And um, <laughs> I can remember uh, uh, there was a... Uh, a pastor, uh, he had a very large staff, and he would have this big Christmas party at Christmas. And, uh, but he liked to go to bed at a certain time. And so everybody's still hanging out, and they're eating their cake and having a good time. But every year, he would come out and say, at 9, 9 p.m. on the nose, all right, guys, I'm going to bed. Just make sure you close the door when you leave. And he would go to bed. It wasn't a joke. I mean, he was, he was done. And he would go to bed, and he didn't care that they were intruding. He would just said. Do whatever you want. Just leave the house when it's your time to leave. I'm going. And uh, so these, these crowd interrupts Jesus with his disciples. They're an intrusion into Jesus' moment with his disciples. But Jesus doesn't do any of the stuff that we typically do with those, you know, keyword phrases to try to move on to the next thing we got going on. What does it say Jesus did to the crowd? He welcomed them. He spoke to them of the kingdom, shared the gospel, and he cured what they had in, the, uh, those who had need of healing. And now those two things, sharing the gospel, healing, was something at the beginning of Luke 9 that was authority that he gave to his disciples, to his apostles, when he sent them out to the cities. He told them to tell people about him, about the gospel, and he gave them authority to cure people and to cast out demons. And so now Jesus is demonstrating to them the assignment he's already given to them. But the first thing he does is he welcomes them. He welcomed. He didn't just make them feel welcome. 
he welcomes them. It's not some superficial deal like, oh, how you doing? Good, good, and then you move on. It's, it's a genuine welcoming here. I mean, what is welcoming? It's, it's embracing the presence of somebody else, that you're genuinely glad they're there, embracing them. A brothers don't shake hands, brothers hug kind of a situation. You're glad they're there, and it's a genuine thing from deep within you, not just surface level, but something within you. There's no reservation. And welcoming isn't about the other person's life choices, isn't about their political positions, it's not about uh, their past, or their, it's not even about the other person's integrity. Welcoming is about the person. It's about compassion. It's about love. It's about empathy. Jesus welcomes anyone who is willing to come within arm's reach. Jesus is willing to welcome anyone who comes within arm's reach. And now what's interesting about that is that whenever we're ready, Jesus is always right next to us. He's always within arm's reach, whether we realize it or not. I mean, we see that in the story of Jonah. Jonah ran in the opposite direction of God. God said, go this way a few hundred miles. Jonah went that way for a few thousand miles. And when he finally was willing to acknowledge God and turn to him, he realized that God was with him the whole time, even in the belly of a fish. God is always within arm's reach if we would simply turn to him and embrace him. And Jesus will welcome anyone willing to come within arm's reach. This crowd comes within arm's reach, and Jesus welcomes them. And, and incidentally, that's what the church is supposed to be welcoming to anyone coming within arm's reach, irregardless of political position, irregardless of, of, of past decisions. It doesn't matter what, what anybody smells like or dresses like or looks like. It doesn't matter even the decisions they made last night and they're coming a little hungover. If they come within arm's reach, we, like Jesus, are supposed to be welcoming. I mean, do you think everyone in this crowd that Jesus welcomes were living an absolutely perfect godly lifestyle? Or do you think some of them were just kind of curious to see what kind of miracles this guy would do? Is he going to call fire down from heaven today? Is he going to raise another guy from the dead? I'm just here to see the show. I just want to go and do this. Maybe somebody in there was very immoral and selling tickets to come see Jesus. You know, I mean, it's a big crowd. You never know what, what some people get away with. And Jesus welcomes them all without qualification he doesn't say well you gotta do this this or this that's the only way you can get in my circle he welcomes them every single person and that is what us the church are supposed to be doing today and so he cures these people anyone who needs it and he begins to share the gospel with them verse 12 now the day began to wear away and the 12 came and said to him send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are, we are in a desolate place. So the day wears away. The day wears on. I love the way Luke, who wrote this, phrases that. The day, you ever had a day that just began to wear on? You're like, when is the end of the day going to come? When is the sermon going to end? I know none of you ever think that. But Jesus is preaching. And so the day began to wear on. And the disciples come to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, you know, 
We're out here in the middle of nowhere. It's the desert place. You know, we've got some cities that are nearby. This crowd is massive. We find out in a minute there's 5,000 men, <clears throat> 5,000 men, not counting women and children. <clears throat> so we're talking 10, 12,000 people here. And the disciples say, Jesus, 12,000 people, that, to give them enough time to go to the nearby cities, find a place to sleep tonight, and get dinner, we've got to send them now. They're probably also thinking about themselves. Jesus, I'm hungry, and we, and the, you know, the 12 of us, and you, 13 of us, to get to a town and, and find some dinner and find a place to sleep with this massive crowd also going there, we need to leave right now. And so Jesus hears this from these guys. And his response, though, is not at all what they expected. Verse 13. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. They said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. So Jesus, they say, Jesus, these people need food and they need somewhere to sleep. And Jesus says, okay, you guys do it. You guys provide them food. You guys do it. And they're thinking, well, that's impossible. <laughs> We're 12 guys. There's 12,000 people. First off, Jesus, we all left our jobs to follow you, so we don't have money to feed them. Second off, Jesus, we don't even have enough sack snacks for the 12 of us. And you want us to feed 12,000. Are you kidding me, Jesus? We got three little rolls and three little fish. And, and, and even if we took this out there and gave everybody just a pinch of, of the, the fish and the rolls, it's not enough to feed them. It's just, it's not going to happen. It, you, you can't do it. It's impossible. And Jesus' response to the disciples, you give them something to eat. They never saw that coming. Like, I mean, they've been around Jesus. They've seen the miracles. They've seen the teaching. And even this one came out of left field. What do you mean? Us. Right? I mean, but again, remember, they just came off this great faith experience where, where God provided everything for them. And now Jesus is mentioning to them that God's going to provide everything for the crowd. But they don't see the faith opportunity in the moment. The disciples don't see it. All they hear from Jesus when he says this, is an expectation for them to feed the people, to provide physical provisions. And they're thinking, we cannot do it. They're saying, Jesus, I mean, some of you have heard this story before, and so you know what's coming. But I've got some snacks here. Peanut butter crackers. Anybody like peanut butter crackers? You do. So they're by my house. Peanut butter crackers. These things evaporate in my house. So I grabbed, we, Katie went to Walmart yesterday, so I grabbed these before they could disappear. If I were to take these crackers around and, and give everybody in here just a pinch, these would not even feed you guys. Not even just a taste. And peanut butter, I don't know if you've ever had peanut butter crackers, but you got the peanut butter, and then you got the cracker, and there's some salt in there. You take one little taste, and you, you want some more. It, you, you need to satisfy some more. Just a little bit's not going to do it. And what Jesus is going to end up doing is completely satisfying and filling up everybody there. This isn't going to fill up, this isn't going to fill up me. I know it's not going to fill up you with just one little pinch. And even in that, some of you are thinking, well, I'm allergic to peanut butter. And that's just in a room this big. Imagine with the crowd Jesus is talking about, 12,000 people. Well, I don't like fish. I don't, I, I'm, off, I'm off gluten this week. I, 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 can't, I can't go that way, Jesus. I can't do that. I, I, it's, it's not there. Or what about the parents in the room that are thinking, oh, my kid won't eat fish. 
<laughs> that's not going to happen. You know, the disciples are there, and they know some of the other crowd that are following around with them. This kid's going to freak out if you give him fish. You can't do that, Jesus. You can't go that route, Jesus. And Jesus tells the disciples, you feed them. You do it. And they're thinking, we can't. 12 guys feeding 12,000 people, that's 1,000 people for every one of us. No, Jesus, that doesn't work. That doesn't compute. I know it's only first century math, but it doesn't work, Jesus. But the thing is, it's not about what the disciples had in their hand that would be enough for the crowd. It's not about this little snack pack. It's not about what's in my hand to be enough to feed you guys. It's not about my handful being enough. That's completely missing the point. And Jesus knows the disciples miss the point. He knows that they miss it. It's not about how much we have. It's about how much Jesus can do with the handful he's given me. He gave me the handful. And it's about how much he can do with it. Not about how much I can do with it, but about how much he can do with it. Because Jesus is more than enough is more than enough for anything for which he has asked me to participate. He knows what is enough because he is the one who gave me what I have to begin with. He knows what I have in my handful. And so what I have in my hands is more than enough because faith in action looks like this. Jesus provides the power. I provide the participation. Jesus provides the power, I provide the participation. I bring the handful he gave me in order to participate in the power he has put into the handful. But in that is also the decision I can make of whether or not to participate in his power. I can decide to cling to my handful and not give it. And when we learn in another uh, one of the gospels about this, th this uh, 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 three, three rolls and, and two fish were actually the lunch of one little kid there brought. And so Andrew brings the kid to Jesus. Note in the other telling of this, it doesn't say Andrew ripped the food out of the kid's hand. He brings the kid and said, here, Jesus, this kid's got food. I'm not going to take it from the kid, but you can. You're Jesus. And, 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 the, and the, the kid's got the food there to bring to Jesus. And they bring it to Jesus, already thinking it's not enough. This is all we have. All that we have is this, and it's not even ours. But they bring it to Jesus. They did the right thing. They brought it to Jesus, even though they doubted in the moment that anything would happen because they've never seen anything like what's about to happen, never even heard of anything like what's about to happen. And honestly, if this wasn't included in the Gospels, we would not have either. So they bring it to Jesus, knowing he's got phenomenal, incredible, unbelievable, amazing power but they still don't have faith enough to, to see Jesus provide food for everyone. Jesus provided food for the 12 of them while they were out sharing the gospel, but it never crossed their mind to have faith enough for Jesus to provide enough for 12,000. Jesus provides the power, I provide the participation. Verse 14. For there were about 5,000 men, and he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of 50 each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. Now, I find this very interesting. You know, when I've read, you know, I've read this passage a bunch of times, and it never really crossed my mind what, what's going on there in those two verses. 
But you know, earlier, the disciples wanted to send everybody away. The disciples didn't want to keep them. The disciples wanted to move on. And yet here we have the disciples obeying, even though they wanted to send everybody away. We have the disciples obeying Jesus and having everybody sit, even though they wanted to send everybody away. They're already having withdrawn with Jesus, and now their schedule's been, been interrupted, and they wanted to send all of these people away, and Jesus says, have, they, have everybody sit down. And so the disciples have everybody sit down. They obeyed even when they wanted to send the people to obey. And, and therein is the trust, because obedience often precedes understanding. Obedience often precedes Understanding, if understanding ever really arrives, if we ever receive understanding about a situation we're in, are we going to be obedient in the situation even if we never really understand why the situation occurred in the first place? We see that in the book of Job. I mean, Job was a man who was godly, doing everything right, and he lost it all. Ten of his kids killed, financially ruined, devastated, his health taken from him. His wife says, just die already and he stays faithful and at the end of the book of job in in job 42 if you get through job don't stop before 42 because you'll be depressed in 42 god brings everything back in surplus it even talks about job's daughters being the most beautiful daughters in the history of the world uh, that god blessed him in excess but you know what it doesn't say it doesn't say job ever got an explanation it doesn't say that God ever told Job why what happened, happened. He never got an explanation. All he did was trust God, even if he did not have the understanding of the situation in the moment. So obedience precedes understanding, and it's a matter of trust, really, if understanding really ever does come. Because where trust is present, understanding is not necessary. Where trust is present, understanding is not necessary. It, I, I may not always understand the decisions that Katie will make, my wife, but it doesn't matter because I trust her. If trust is there, understanding isn't necessary. If, if God does something or, or something I perceive that God did or God allowed something to happen and I don't understand that the issue is, the question becomes in the moment, do I trust that God knows what he's doing? Or do I not? Do I think I know better than God? Tr where trust, absolute trust is present, understanding is not necessary. And so the disciples trust Jesus, even though they don't understand what he's doing. Even though they know Jesus knows we got no money to feed 12,000 people. Even though Jesus knows all we have is one little kid's snack pack and we don't have enough to feed these people, Jesus says, have everybody sit down. This is an expectation of something about to happen, anticipation of a miracle about to take place, even though still yet the disciples don't see it. They don't have clarity of vision. Verse 16, And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets, of broken pieces what was left over now the word that's used there what was left over it, it literally means overabundance overabundance not just abundance overabundance exceptionally more than what was needed 
And they gathered them up in these big old 12 baskets, and they had these 12 basketfuls to use as, as you know, provisions were needed later. And they had this left over, and they gathered it up because there's no waste in, abundant, in abundance. But look at the sequence of what happens. Okay? Jesus said a blessing, then he gave the food so that the disciples then could give the food. Jesus blessed it and gave it. And in order for the multiplication to come, the disciples had to give it as well. Otherwise, they are stifling the blessing in their hand. And they've got it in their hand, and they're just squeezing it and not letting it go. If they keep it, the blessing goes nowhere. The blessing isn't for them. The blessing is for those in the crowd. They already said what they have in their handful is not enough. And so they, 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 they squeeze out the blessing if they don't give it out. What they have in their hand is blessed, but in order for the blessing to be fulfilled, it has to be given. And so they have it, and they give it, and it says there's enough for the food, there's enough food for the entire crowd, and they all ate, and were satisfied. We're satisfied. I, I, I imagine the situation is, as they're handing out the food, the disciples, I mean, who's more amazed, the crowd or the disciples? That as the disciples reach in to pass out more food, there's more food in the thing they're passing out. And it's just, there's more in the, I just gave everything, and they're still there. And they keep passing it, and it's still there. And they keep passing it, and it's still there. And they keep passing it, and it's still there. And there's so much left over that each one of those 12 disciples now has this big old basket, and it's all full of leftovers that they go and they, keep, and they use at another point. Jesus blesses what he gives so that when it is given, there, there is an explosion of multiplication. Blessing given from the hand of Jesus multiplies only when it is given from my hand. If he blesses something and it's given to me, it's not for me to keep and hang on to and never show anybody. Hide it under a bushel. No. It's not. It's to be given away, and only in giving away will it be multiplied. We see it in the parable of the talents when, when, when in the parable, uh, uh, the, the ruler comes back and calls his servants in, and the guys who took what Jesus gave them and gave it saw multiplication, but the guy who buried it in the backyard and did nothing with it, what did Jesus say to that one? You wicked, lazy servant. I gave something to you phenomenal to be multiplied, and all you did was cling to it in your hand. Even if it, that servant had a smaller handful than the others, it was still a handful. A handful that was blessed by his master if it was to be, used, or to be used. And God can do so much with the hand that we've been dealt with. You may say, but you don't know how much my handful is. My handful is so small. My handful has been beaten up. My handful has been used up. I, I, there's not much going on in my handful, and I, there's nothing that can be done in how we think about it, a lot can be done. Paul wrote about this in Ephesians chapter 3, that God is able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. He's able to do more than I can even ask of or even think of. There's things that never even cross my mind that he is able to do abundantly more than even the things I can't even think of. I mean, the disciples never thought Jesus could feed 12,000 people with a one little kid's snack, but he did it. They never even thought it was, it was humanly capable, but that's just it. It's not. It's divinely possible because of God 
and his spirit at work. God did this amazing thing. He can do so much more than anything that I can conceive of possibly being done with my handful of resources. But if I keep the resources in my hand, there's no multiplication, there's no miracle, there's no blessing to be handed out and, and, and given out in such an incredible way. If I want to control the resources, thinking that I know better how to produce multiplication than God, the blessing evaporates in the moment. And I trade the blessing of multiplication for deterioration in my own life. But my handful invested in God's purposes produces explosive results. My handful, no matter how small, no matter how big or small my capacity may be, invested in God's purposes produces explosive results every single time. I mean, you've got these 12 apostles who left their jobs, quit their jobs to follow a guy around the countryside preaching. Can you imagine the conversations that went on with their wives at home? You did what? How are we going to feed the kids? I and mean, we know of at least Peter being married, and we know some of these guys were married, and they're thinking, what did you do? You quit? Your, are you kidding me? You know, life expectancy in the first century is pretty low, but you just dropped it even lower by quitting your job. Thanks a lot for killing us all. And they followed Jesus, but he always provided every single time, even with the handful they had. Even with the handful they had, they brought it, and Jesus provided. And so what we're talking about today is having clarity of vision in the faith with the handful that he has given us. And I'm going to give you three specific ways that this church and everybody who's connected with this church can participate in the power of God to change our community from the inside out. Who wants to see change in our community? Who wants to see change? Who wants to see drugs eradicated? In our, drugs that have more influence in Sevier County, in within arm's reach of our church, than Jesus does right now, but Jesus has more power. And here's three specific ways I'm going to give you right now that every single one of us can do that will bring that change about. Not just in some distant future in succeeding generations, but can do it in our lifetime. It can do it in the next 12 months. Here's three ways. Number one, give. Give. Uh-oh, preacher's talking about money. Let's tune out. Let me pull up my phone. I'm looking at the Bible, but I'm scrolling to not pay attention. Give. We see the disciples give. Give all that they had. Even what they had wasn't even theirs to give. <laughs> it was another kid's lunch. Give. But the thing is about giving, again, everybody's got a different size handful. But that handful, all of them, the big handfuls, the small handfuls, everything in between came from the same source. God. Jesus blessed it. Jesus gave it so that we can give it. And everybody has to start somewhere. Everybody has to start somewhere. You start somewhere. So this is what it is, giving. And if you've never really given consistently financially to the work of God, then start today. Just start giving. Start giving. There's a basket right back there in the back of the room. You can put money in that basket. You can text to give. It's on the bulletin, the number. Start giving something. Start 
Start giving as a demonstration of faith. Remember, Jesus told those guys in the beginning of Luke 9 to go from city to city but bring no money and God will provide. God will provide every single time. So give, start somewhere. Start giving to the work of God. And if you already are giving something, then start tithing. Start tithing consistently. You can do it today. The basket, text to give. What is tithing? Some of you may ask. Tithing is, is a biblical principle from the Jewish scriptures that Jesus uh, uh, confirmed, but he took it even further, as we're going to look at in just a minute. The tithing is giving 10%, 10% of your gross income, the total amount before the government takes a big chunk of it. Giving the 10% of that number, of, of your income, that's any money coming in. That's from your job, from the government, birthday money, inheritance. If it's coming in, you say, but wait a minute, birthday money's been given to me, somebody goes to church, inheritance is from somebody who went to church, it's already been tithed on, it's good to go. Well, tithe and giving to God isn't a fee you pay. <laughs> it's a heart issue. It's a heart issue for you. It's a trust issue with God. It's a trust issue. God doesn't, God doesn't need your money. He's God. He's got it all. But it's about you and your heart. And if you're already finagling away in your mind to get out of giving God money, then you're in the wrong heart place. Some of you are already feeling the conviction of God saying that money you've been harboring away, you know you should have been given on that, but you're not. And he's already talking to you right now about that. So we give. We can give. We can start giving if we never have. We can start tithing if we've never tithed. But if you have been tithing, you say, I'm good. I have been tithing for decades. But now it's time to talk about you. Because as we grow, so should our faith in giving. If you're still giving the same percent now you gave when you were 25 and now you're 85, there's a heart issue. The faith should have grown over the years. It should have. I, I, I thought about it recently. Katie got this new shampoo. And um, it doesn't take nearly as much to wash your hair as the old shampoo did. Um, and I discovered that on the first run through. Because, you know, I start going to wash my hair and it's like it's never running out. You know what I mean? It just keeps going, and I just use the same amount as I did last time. And, and I realized it takes a lot less because it's better shampoo than the other kind. It takes a lot less. But over this past month, I noticed that as the month wore on, I had to use a little more shampoo than I did at the beginning. And it hit me later on. That's because my hair's growing. As my hair's growing, I need more to take care of it. If we're growing personally, as a believer, so should our faith. Our faith today should not be the same as it was when we got saved. And if we've been tithing for decades, giving 10% for decades, that's great. But if it's a checkbox in our spirit and not something to, to expand our trust in God on, then we're missing the entire point just like the disciples. It's about growing our faith, expanding our faith. So if you've never given, start giving. If you've given and never tithed, start tithing. If you've tithed, then grow your percentage. And this is what you need to do, all right? Let's get a little uncomfortable. Yeah, we already are. We're talking about money in church. This is uncomfortable already. Ask God how much to raise your percentage. To what uncomfortable level to raise it to? 
Where do you need to go in order for your trust to be where God needs it to be? I mean, I've told the story before about the pastor who had a guy come to him and said, I can't tithe. I mean, I'm making so much more than I used to make, and now it's so difficult to tithe because I have a problem writing the number that big on the check. And, and the pastor said to the guy, okay, well then, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray that God lowers your salary enough so you're comfortable with what you give. God doesn't need your money, but he wants your heart. And as human beings... Ours are often tied together. Do we trust God enough to provide, to give to him? Maybe even now, as all of us need to be doing one of those three, either start giving, tithing, or increasing our percentage, maybe God's been, been speaking to you about giving, not just increasing your, your percentage, but giving a one-time gift. There's been something you're saving up for, and right now in the moment, you felt it, but you've ignored it. Even right now, I can... In this room, there's somebody who's arguing with God about something they need to be giving, something you've been saving for, and God says, I want you to give it. There was a time in my family when I was a kid, my dad was a minister, we didn't have much money, our washing machine broke, and we didn't have enough money to pay for a new washing machine. So my parents were, started saving for months to buy a new washing machine, setting a little bit aside, $10 here, $15 there, saving it for months and months and months to buy a new washing machine. And it gets, they finally have enough. This paycheck comes through on Friday. Got enough money. Go to church on Sunday. And you know what God says to them, both independently without them talking about it? God said, I want you to give the whole thing. Said, Wait a minute. We've been saving for months. God, it's been like five months. We're going to the, mom didn't really like going to the laundromat and having your stuff displayed. Dad loved it. I mean, he was, he was throwing underwear all over the place, talking to everybody in the room. Uh, but, they said, we've been saving for five, whatever months it was, and, and you want us to give the whole thing and start over? I said, yeah. And so they came to each other and uh, said, you're never going to believe what I felt God tell me right now. And they said, well, yeah, I do. <laughs> I think God wants us to give the money that we've been saving for the washing machine. So they wrote the check. They put it in the offering plate. Not 60 seconds later, a guy walks down, taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, I know this seems like out of the blue, but I feel like God wants me to buy you a washing machine. I don't know if you need one. I don't know if you want one that matches the other one, but God told me to buy you one. So I want you to go down. I don't remember what store it was. Go down to that store. I'm, I'm going to call him ahead of time. You pick out, he said, he said this, any washing machine you want, any one. Because God didn't put a dollar sign on the washing machine he told me to get you. He said, just get him a washing machine. So go down and pick up any washing machine you want, and I'll pay for it. You see, God will provide. Words of Jesus. I mean, he promised it in, Matthew, in Malachi chapter 3. You know what he said there? He said, just give it a test. Give it a trial. Give it a test run. Try it out and see if God won't provide. So if you've never given before and you're going to start today, you've never tithed before, you're going to start. If you've, if you've never increased your giving but you feel God wants you to start or you've never given something like the one-time gift God wants you to give, just try it and see what God doesn't do. See if he won't provide. Give it 90 days. I mean, we give 90-day trial periods for all kinds of stuff, 60-day trial periods for all kinds of stuff, but we won't give it to God. Try God and see what he does. See what he provides. See how he takes care of you. In an exceeding amount, Jesus' words in Luke chapter 6, 
Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. That's the idea of he blesses what he gives so we can give it and see multiplication. With the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. How much faith do you have? How much trust do you have? You don't have to understand how God's going to do it. You just have to trust that he will. Katie and I have been through it in, in the years we've been married. There's been many months. I remember back when we had our first child. There were many months. We thought, yeah, we don't have money to buy groceries. It's groceries or gas this week. Uh, and, and at the time, I lived 20 minutes away from where I work. It's groceries or gas. How are we going to pull this off? But every single time, God provided. If, as long as we never failed to give to God, God always provided. Even if it doesn't make sense on the Excel spreadsheet, the money was there. Every, every, never failed once. Not, the hospital bills came in, money was there. Grocery bills came in, money was there. And now we got people in my house that eat way more than me. The baby ate more pizza than I did the other night. I said, Katie, you won't believe how much he just ate. So it's, he's one. And we've got all these mouths, and how's God going to do it? Because he's God. So do I trust him enough to pray about that, to give for the first time, to tithe for the first time, to increase my giving, to give that one-time gift that I'm angry with him right now because he's telling me to do it. It's about your heart. Will you give? That's number one, give. Number two, serve. Serve. We've all been given spiritual gifts by the Holy Spirit that we're supposed to be using, utilizing every day in his service. For God in our job, in our families, in our neighborhoods. But there's more than that. We have a bunch of areas to serve in the church to point people to Jesus. There are 29 different ministry opportunities out there on tables right now. 29 to serve. And all of them point people to Jesus in any kind of way, in all kinds. It can be, there's a table out there for the nursery. Serving in the nursery, say, how does serving in the nursery point people to Jesus? Well, it helps parents not have to worry about their children so they can focus on the message of God in this room. Everyone in that nursery is background checked thoroughly. So the parents go in there, drop their kids off. They don't have to worry about their kid for the next hour and 15 minutes. They can just focus on Jesus. It points people to Jesus, the nursery. The greeters points people to Jesus. When they see that first face, when people walk in to this place, points people to Jesus. The media team, the sound, the computer, the streaming, the cameras. We have a, a few hundred people who watch this service online every week. S wanting to, somebody told me a, few, a, a, a couple weeks ago, they're not ready to come to church yet, but they gather their whole family around the computer and they watch our service every single Sunday as a family. That's a ministry of untapped potential. You say, I don't know technology. I'm not gifted in that. Do you know how to click a button? you know how to type? If somebody makes a comment, how to say we're praying for you and, and point them to Jesus, then that's all it takes. All it takes is a willing heart to participate. And those are just two of the 20. I mean, there's a bunch of opportunities out there to point people to Jesus, every single one of them. Every single one of them. 
So as a follower of Jesus who is engaged in what God has going on here, number one, give. Number two, serve. Don't walk out there past those tables or, or try to take a quick cut so you don't have to walk past the tables without seizing one of those opportunities. Point people to Jesus. In, invest in where God has planted you. And let's change the world through those opportunities. Even if it's uncomfortable. And, and, and I think we, we also have one, that, right, Kim? That if you say, well, I'm not here, I'm not here, well, well, we'll, we'll find one for you. All right? We'll find one, we'll custom fit it for you to serve somewhere in some capacity, to do something. Serve. So don't walk out without putting your name down in one of those spots. And even if you say, I'm not a member, this is my first Sunday, I've only been coming for a month, still, you can still serve. Do you want to point people to Jesus? Then put your name down somewhere, in some way, in some capacity, and invest in that way. So give, serve. And number three, welcome. Just as we saw in the passage with Jesus, welcome. Everyone within arm's reach. Everyone within arm's reach. As a church, we have a circle of influence. Every individual participating here has their own circle of influence, and that reaches out to become our church's circle of influence, our arm's reach. And we want to minister to reach everyone within arm's reach. There's a statistic you've heard me say before if you've been here very long at all. 74%, more than 74% of our area is unchurched unchurched. That's either people who uh, uh, don't know Jesus at all or people who have walked away from the church and need to be reintroduced to Jesus. It's more than 74%. And it would take a significant movement to change that number, to bring our circle of influence to Jesus for the first time or back to Jesus. You know what that means, that specific thing? If we were to take that, so that's what, 26% our church, are, are engaged with Jesus, participating in Jesus in our area, 26%. If we were to take that 26 up to 50, you know how many individual people it would take? Now, but I'm going to preface this. You're going to hear the specific number, and you're going to think, man, that's impossible. Just like the disciples looking at 12,000 people. You're going to think, that's, that's no way. Not, cannot happen here today, 2019. Not going to work. But in order to bring, I mean, to flip the statistical imbalance of our area towards Jesus and away from everything else, it would take 3,300 people. 3,300 people. 3,300 people. You say, I got my handful. Compared to 3,300 people, that's not going to work. That, that doesn't function, it doesn't compute. I can plug it into my, my, my calculator on my phone. It, 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 this and that, the, the, the missional need far outweighs the handful I've got. But you know what that looks like? There's a question we're going to ask. I'm going to tell you in just a second what it is. But if every single person here, every one of you, reached four people, four, and those four reached four, we would far surpass that number. Four. Four. But don't just reach one and make that your check mark. Oh, I'm good. Now replace that one with another one. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do is write down four people. Four people. You, you, you may not know the name. Dude at Walmart. 
guy at the gas station, girl at TJ's. Write down four people, people you can minister to, people you can invite, people you can pray for, people that, that God has placed within your arm's reach, and he's placed you within the arm's reach of every one of those people for a specific purpose. And if you reach the people within your arm's reach, it will change the world. It will change the world. Four people, who are your four? That's the question. Who are your four? People you can pray for, people you can minister to. Everyone can do that. Kids, teenagers, uh, young adults, middle-aged adults, senior adults, four people. Who are your four you're going to be praying for, investing in, pointing to? Who are your four? Is, now, these three things, giving, serving, welcoming, who are your four? These are questions, these are things we're going to bring up a lot over the next 12 months keeping it ever before our minds. And as a reminder, you saw it out there on the wall. Our circle of influence, within arm's reach, that circle is a 15-mile radius around this spot. That is our circle of influence. It's wider than that because of the Internet, but physically, that's our circle of influence. God can expand it. God can grow it. God can do all kinds of things. He's God. 15 miles around this spot in every direction. That's what that represents. That's a reminder to us of our circle of influence, of our arm's reach. Who are your four? Who are your four? So we see God is going to provide the power. God wants to change this area. God wants to change this region of the country. God wants to change the country. God wants to change the world, and he wants to use us to do it. He's bringing the power. Will you bring the participation in those three ways? Give for the first time. Tithe for the first time. Grow your percentage for the first time to an uncomfortable level even. Give that one-time investment. Give. Serve on one of those areas out there. Or another one God's placed on your heart that we, he did not reveal to us to put on one of those signs. Give, serve, welcome. Who are your four? Are you, are you ready to participate in the power of God? This place will be revolutionized and changed. People will come to Jesus in droves if we are willing to participate in the power of God. And we're going to see an example of that in just a minute. Somebody's about to get baptized. And no better way to cap off what we're talking about here, the vision for the year 2020 and how God's going to take the Queen and Sevier County and this entire region for his kingdom is to bring people to Jesus as we're going to see in baptism as a demonstration of what God wants to do, of, of, of lives turned to him, lives changed for his benefit and his glory. And if you want to be a part of the power of God, if you've never known Jesus before, he's inviting anybody and everybody. It's not a coincidence that you're here today. If you want to believe in Jesus as God's son, that he came and he died so all your sins would be forgiven, all of them, even the ones you don't talk about, even the ones you haven't even done yet. He's forgiven them if you believe. And then he rose from the dead so you can live after you die. And if you want to experience that and participate in this eternal life with him, all you have to do is believe. You don't have to pay an entry fee. You don't have to say magic words. You just have to believe. And I want to talk to you about that today. I want to celebrate with you about that today. 
and I want to pray for you. And if that's you and you want to know Jesus today, then come and talk to me. Just after I pray, I say amen. That's your cue. Come and talk to me. I want to talk to you. But maybe you need to come down here to these steps and you need to start praying. You need to start praying about that thing God's already mentioned to you about what you need to start giving. You need to pray about your, your boldness and your willingness to step out on faith and you need to come and you need to pray about your heart. Maybe you need to pray about what, where God wants you to serve. Maybe you need to come and pray about those four people he's already mentioned to you. Maybe he mentioned seven names to you and you're not ready for that. And you need to come pray about that. Then come and pray. Pray and together together we are going to change the world.